Welcome to the One Question Podcast, brought to you by Wabi Sabi Studios. I'm your host, Michelle Cox, and I love having unlikely conversations on uncomfortable topics. It's a huge passion of mine, so much so that I wrote a few books a while back that challenge people's notion on living a life more unconventionally. This entire podcast stems around one question. If there was one topic you wish society would talk more about, what would it be? It's something that we do need to talk more about and show that people, if you're having a really rough time, that chances are your best mate or your work colleague or your sister or brother has probably shared a similar lived experience at some point. Today we meet a beautiful energetic being called Kane Ford. He is the founder of Get Outside Australia and has a passion for travelling and the great outdoors. Kane understands what it takes to succeed in the corporate world, but he learned the hard way that the need for real work-life balance is not one that we should just talk about. In recent years, he has faced mental health challenges relating to anxiety and burnout and wants to use his experience to help others realise the physical and mental benefits of simply getting outside. Kane Ford, what an absolute delight it is to sit down with you. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Michelle. Really excited to be here. So if there's one thing that you wish society would talk more about, what would it be? I think it's the strength that you can feel through vulnerability. That's something that I really feel we can get a lot of value out of. Yeah, great topic. Vulnerability certainly has come on the radar in latter years through the likes of, you know, Dr. Brene Brown and all her work in this sort of space. And it's such an interesting topic, I think, also for a male to sit down and talk with me about. So thank you for that. But tell me why it is that this is a topic that you're so passionate about. Look, I think, Michelle, for me, growing up in the country and I sort of identifying as part of the LGBTQI community, I feel like I've always worn a bit of a mask um, throughout my sort of right from my early years all through my corporate career. And so it's only, I guess, once I reached a crisis point in, in my life and was sort of forced to be vulnerable with my friends and my family and myself, ultimately, that I think that that was where I actually had a real turning point in the amount of strength that I actually felt. So it's understanding for me how to harness that sort of, you know, being really true about where you're at and your feelings and drawing real strength from that. Yeah, I think interesting point. There's so much in what you just said there. So what was it a catalyst moment that sort of made, you know, was there a pivotal point that you kind of stepped into that or was it a gradual kind of approach, you know, for you to kind of let that go and be more vulnerable? How did it work for you? Look, it works for me, I think, you know, when we talk about those really formative years of, you know, knowing that you're a bit different from everyone else, but feeling like you had to present in a certain way, I became really, I think, effective at sort of hiding my true self and not allowing that people to really get in and see who I was. And so through years in in high school, I was sort of someone who became the college captain at school. I was always quite sort of, I guess I could be a bit of a chameleon. So I sort of learned how to wear these different masks through, you know, positive reinforcement that those masks that I was wearing were good. And then that sort of transcended when I sort of moved into the corporate world. So I started to work in sort of corporate environments where it was very much that sort of straight 30s and 40s male that was sort of, you know, dominating industry. So I learned very quickly that in order to be successful, that that was sort of what I had to sort of fit into those categories. 
But when you're wearing a mask and you're not really showing your true self, I feel like you can do that for a certain amount of time, but then there becomes a point where it's really hard to keep those sort of facades operational and, and, and working. And so for me in 2019, I guess, was a point where those masks started to crack and that was sort of where this underlying sort of issue of anxiety that I had all through my life started to present itself and, and made it hard to shield from people. Yeah, wow. I can't even imagine what you went through with that. So can I ask how old are you, Kane? I'm 44 now. So at the time, this was just over three years ago. Yeah. And so this is the first time in your life that you could kind of truly be yourself, like really in the last three years? Yeah, look, I think I've always been my authentic self, but it was understanding the power you can get through I guess when I think about it, it's almost like extreme vulnerability. It's actually being comfortable even sharing with someone like yourself who I've just met, you know, five minutes ago, having the ability to just share a really personal experience. And I get real strength from that even talking now. I sort of feel myself starting to lose that nervousness, anxiety I feel when I'm starting to talk to someone for the first time. You just let all of your guards down and there's nothing that someone can say that can take your power away from you. That's so powerful to hear you say that. So you're a big, strong, like gorgeous guy. And I think that's, you know, I've watched all your videos and your stuff online and everything. And so for you to to sit there and say and talk about, you know, being vulnerable and getting strength from that, like that's really incredible. But I kind of want to dig a bit more into that. Like how, how do you do that? Because you can't just like flick a switch, right? Well, I don't think you can, but personally, I you don't want to talk about your experience. How did you get to this point? Because I know you've had experience with anxiety and stuff. Did you sort of have to feel like get to that rock bottom point and go like, what the fuck have I got to lose? You have nailed it. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) You have nailed it. (laughs) (laughs) So just to paint a bit of a picture of where I was, I guess, mentally three years ago, I was working in quite a senior role within the banking and finance industry working six days a week, uh, 14 hours a day. I got myself into a rhythm where, you know, Sundays was spent preparing for Monday. And that's the nature of having, I guess, anxiety. You're preparing for every potential scenario to circumvent places where you feel uncomfortable. And so that became my life. And that was just my operating rhythm. So much so that even my partner at the time, um, we'd been together for 15 years, had no idea of those sort of real struggles that I was going through internally. It was presenting itself, not just, I guess, in mental sort of anxiety, but it started to get to a point where physically I used to commute um, into the city riding my bike and I would ride my bike down St. George's Road where I live and I'd physically dry reach the entire way to work. And once I would get to work, I would walk through those turnstiles in this large corporate and it was just like the mask just came on straight away and I could operate for my eight to 10 hour day as if nothing was wrong, and then I would literally ride my bike home and have those same feelings of anxiety, of going over conversations I'd had through the day. Did I handle that well? What could I have done better? And that constant sort of beating yourself up self about. And that was just my daily routine. Where that led to was I then started to a couple of times, I was was going to MC at a conference in Sydney. And that morning I had such powerful anxiety that I thought I was having a heart attack. So I went to emergency um, with chest pain, had all the ECGs and all that sort of stuff. And they just said, you're having, I guess, a a panic attack. And I hadn't experienced it at that physical level at that point. 
And you'd think that would be a real warning sign to say, right, something's got to shift. And I literally left the hospital and drove to the airport and emceed the event that afternoon. And that happened again. And I think this is where the physical presenting of that anxiety, it started to become more and more regular. And that's where it got to a point where one day my body literally shut down and I had to call my boss at the time who I didn't have a, I guess, an emotionally connected sort of relationship with and just broke down and said, I can't do this anymore. My body just said it's enough is enough. So that was that real rock bottom moment of truth where I think my life could have gone a number of different different ways. Yeah, it's interesting. And just listening to you talk about that, like the dry reaching and stuff like that's pretty horrendous. And I mean, I imagine there's lots of people that live with this, at, you know, sometimes a long time in their life, sometimes at moments in time. Had you had anxiety a lot in your life before that? Could you identify this within you? Or was this a first sort of time that you're, you know, at this kind of level, I guess? Yeah, look, I think probably up until I was in my 30s, I would say that I was a worrier. Like I would be worrying about stuff. That was how I would identify. I would overthink things. It wasn't until I had a bicycle accident um, where I was car doored and had a, a bit of an injury. And so part of my recovery through TAOC was to actually see a psychologist to work through that so I could ride my bike again. And that was where I sort of first started to have actual open conversations about there's probably an underlying anxiety issue that sits that I've always had and I've always sort of felt that it was a driver of me being able to be sort of a high performer, to be successful. It was driven through this anxiety and dread of not failing. <laughs> so Yeah. They call us A-types. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Perfectionists, you know, we like everything, like everything to be just so, yeah, all that. Yeah, it's a nightmare. Absolutely. So talking about that, sort of opened the door for me, sort of, I guess, the self-awareness that maybe there is something there that I need to start to unpack. But I didn't I didn't fully do that. But then once got to that crisis point where I was sort of called, called my boss and said, I just can't do this anymore. I think that was where I, that day I actually drove out to a favourite hiking spot near the Cathedral Range. It's about two hours drive from, from Melbourne. And I'd been there many times before. I love hiking. Um, it's a real passion of mine. It helps me disconnect and find that balance that I need. And I drove out there with not actually knowing whether I would come back. That was sort of the moment where I just thought, how the hell did I get myself into this position in my life where I have created this world that seems really great. I'm doing you know, a couple of international trips every year. Um, I've got a, a home that it's uh, a nice home. Everything sort of on paper had started to come together for me as I hit my sort of late 30s. But inside, it was just this struggle to keep up those, I guess, appearances and sort of be operating at that level where you are sort of maybe comparing yourself to your peers and your friends and where they're at in life. And maybe it was just like a midlife crisis. <laughs> no, it sounds obviously it's more than that. So you go to the hike and and what happened then? So you obviously felt better. <laughs> Look, it was one of those moments where I, I went to this particular place because it's quite isolated. During the week, there's not many people there. So in my mind, it wasn't like, you know, it was a place that if I did want to, you know, I find it quite hard to say it, but if I did not want to come back from that place, it was an appropriate spot to do so. But as I started to hike up to some of the cliff faces, I, I literally cried for well, it's an eight-hour circuit hike 
and I probably cried for about six hours. And it was a really pivotal moment in my life. I'll never, ever forget it. And even still, when I drive through those gates at that park, there's a visceral feeling that takes me right back to that moment where it was, what do you want to do with your life right now? So obviously, I, I drove back home later that afternoon and my world wasn't fixed. I wasn't okay, but I knew that if I could feel those, the hope that, you know what, I just need to get back to who I am as a person and allow myself to really show to my friends and my family, I'm really struggling and I need help. And that was the sort of the start of what has become the absolute best part of my 44 years of existence. And we all know that mental health and, and anxiety and, and those types of, I guess, challenges it's not like breaking an arm where you go to the hospital and they put you in a cast and off you go and your arm's healed. This is something that I know that I have to look at in terms of how I'm going and where my mental health is every day. It's a continuum. But it's definitely, I think now I'm learning the tools to help manage that effectively. So did you get help? Yeah. Yeah, I did. I. Um, yeah, great. So you went to see some people and then also combined with your hiking and stuff. So I'm interested to see how that kind of journey really changed it as well. When I had, I guess, the first, I guess, couple of sessions with a psychologist through my bicycle accident, we created a great relationship. I felt very comfortable talking to her. Um, and so I went back to her and she, we spent three to six months. It was going through those conversations and helping me articulate where I was at and what my, how do I see a pathway forward? But that's where it definitely comes to getting the strength through vulnerability. All of my friends and my family now have a very strong understanding of, of my journey of where I've been and where I am today. And I actually feel really comfortable sharing that with larger groups. And I've, I've actually done that with the company that I work for, So, which is probably the most confronting sort of conversation to have when it's people you work with every day to say, I've been in a spot where I'm not okay. But you do feel it's that real strength. And especially, I think there's a challenge with, I think it's for everyone. This, this is everyone being vulnerable, but particularly men, we are conditioned, I guess, you know, to have that bravado, to have that mask that I'm stoic, I'm the rock of the, the family or the leader of the business or whatever it is. I think men particularly find it quite challenging to have those vulnerable conversations. And so how did you mention there before about, you know, you've got tools to kind of combat with this. So what is there tools that you can share that other people might find really helpful that you could use, you know, in this sort of transition period and that assist you, I guess, as you say, because it's a continuum, you know, dealing with anxiety because you go through different things in life. And I kind of look at it like we're always leveling up. So there's always something that's kind of thrown at us that we haven't dealt with before. And then that brings a whole other level of anxiety. So how do you manage that on a daily basis? I totally relate to it. And I totally think that some days I manage it really well and other days it falls apart. Um, <laughs> and this is where it's finding what works for you. I think we're all different and we all have different drivers and different elements that ignite our personal insight. I now know that if I haven't had an opportunity to connect with nature for a few days or whatnot, I can feel that that is actually one of the things for me quickly getting back out for a walk and it might be just going for a walk outside around the block or at the the closest park but ultimately for me it's about disconnecting and going out to a state or national park and, and having a bit of a hike going camping those types of things that's what helps me achieve that better balance um, but that's not always possible even before say for example our catch up today 
for me, it's around some just some simple breathing techniques around box breathing, those type of things to try and regulate not spiraling with anxiety. And Michelle, like every time I do these types of conversations, I still have an absolute flare up of anxiety that what I'm talking about, who wants to listen to it, what have I got to say, and am I going to live up to your expectations? You've had some incredible guests on your podcast. So those feelings of imposter syndrome and anxiety never sort of, it's just about how to manage them, I think, and how to be vulnerable about saying they're there. Yeah. And I think the thing on that, like, is that everyone feels the same. doesn't matter how important you are, how famous you are. Like, I've met some incredible people in my life and have some very dear friends that, uh, you know, in in society's terms today, very well known, etc. And I talk to them about this. We're all the same, you know, because at that fundamental core level, we are all just human and we all have these expectations on what we think we should be like, look like, sound like. And, you know, society's pressures these days are tough, like especially you've got a big following on social media, like that's tough as well, you know, that expectation that you've got to be a certain way and show up. So I was curious before, sorry, before we move on though, you talked about box breathing, which I, it's a tool I use a lot as well, but can you, for anyone that doesn't know that's listening, can you explain what that is? Because that's a really good tool. It's controlling that breath so that it's an inhalation of, say, two seconds and it's holding for two seconds or four seconds, whatever works for you or your physiology, and then slowly exhaling for two to four seconds and then repeating that process. And I can feel when my anxiety is flaring up that I've got really shallow breath. It's very quick and I find it hard to take a really deep, you know, breathe in and just hold it. And that actually releases a lot of tension when you start to exhale. And so it's a really quick one that I can do, even if I'm in the middle of a meeting that is sort of, I'm feeling uncomfortable or feeling like I don't have the answers. It's it's a really good one you can sit at your desk and do and no one really knows you're doing it. So Yeah, yeah. it's beautiful. I, I agree. And breath work, I, the more I do in that space, like I've been doing lots of sort of work in that in the last sort of year, that it's so powerful. And, you know, we breathe naturally every day. We don't think about it. But the reality is when you are position of fight, flight, you know, all that, your breathing is so important to kind of connect to. Um, the other one I do is actually just it's sort of like a four fingers below your belly button. It's just a pressure point. Again, you can sit there and, you know, like I am now. And just if I'm like, oh, I'm a bit stressed, you just push that point in and it grounds you. It's a really good centering technique. So it's another one to kind of calm you down a bit as well, which is lovely, but um, great tips to know. So coming to the vulnerability piece and how do you step into that more? You talked before, you know, saying about you're getting power from being vulnerable with me now. That must be a stepping stone. Were there particular things that you thought, I'm just going to talk about everything and anything, I'm going to be an open book? Or if someone, they're thinking, actually, yeah, I want to be like Kane and I want to be more vulnerable, What would you advise them to do to sort of kick that off? It's definitely been so I'm sort of, I guess, four years on from experiencing that moment in life. And it starts with vulnerability. I think the first one for me, it was on that day, it was actually vulnerability with myself and allowing myself to understand this is where I'm at. And I'm not trying to even pretend to myself that I'm somewhere else because I think I, I get into a habit of doing that. No, I'm, I'm totally fine. I've got this. I can take on that extra four projects that I might be working X amount of hours, but I've got time to do that. I think it was that, that first forced vulnerability with myself to have that real reflective moment. 
for me, it was about choosing the safe spaces that I felt with my friends and very close family to, I guess, test the waters a little bit and just to see if I tell them this, if I share that the fact that I had had some suicidal ideation, what's their reaction? And that's a really full-on thing to share straight with someone that you probably haven't been completely upfront with. And I know that my partner at the time was... I think really surprised that he knew that it was at a certain point, but had no idea that it was at that level. So I think creating spaces with people you feel safe with already, where there's a strong connection, that was definitely, you know, the first time I shared those sort of experiences with my very inner circle. It was really hard and we both cried in some, you know, sort of interactions, but I felt really good after that. And then that sort of expanded. I sort of I started to build a little business on the side to try and help me through my recovery of that moment, which was all about being vulnerable, essentially. It was about sharing my story and helping people to realise you can feel benefits from actually getting outside and, and hiking and connecting with nature. It was almost very separate. One, being vulnerable with these people that I had a very strong connection with and felt very safe with. And then the polar opposite was this audience of people who I often didn't know and actually feeling safe to share it with strangers. And I think those two those two very separate ends of the spectrum over the last four years have slowly started to merge together. And being vulnerable with friends, close friends that I haven't seen for 20 years who may who, who I've connected with back on social media, knowing that I've shared an experience that I think is very, very common it's something that we do need to talk more about and show that people, if you're having a really rough time, that chances are your best mate or your work colleague or your sister or brother has probably shared a similar lived experience at some point. Yeah, yes, it's spot on. And, you know, right as you are to be here and talk about this, the more we talk about this sort of stuff, the, the more normalised it is, I guess, and the more comfortable other people would feel to talk about it with, as you say, their friends and family and stuff as well. So it's so important. So thank you for, for sharing your stories and stuff as well, Kane. That's really, really lovely. Um, you started this business then from that very first, you know, moment of going to the hike and where, where is it? Cathedral Park, or is, it, is that right? Cathedral Ranges, yeah. Cathedral yeah. Ranges. Cathedral Ranges, And yeah. you identified yeah. then that hiking and being outdoors was a, a salve, if you call it that, like for part of your, uh, you know, a therapy. What do they call it now? It's um, forest bathing, forest bathing in some places, like that's a beautiful term. So then, you know, decided that actually you need to do more of this and you started the business called Get Outside. Is that the pivotal part where all that came from? It started with, I obviously resigned from my job immediately. I actually never went back to that environment and I didn't have any prospects on what I was going to do. I had normally been very sort of strategic in my career. I'd always had a three and a five-year plan and this is where I'm going. And um, So I started working on Get Outside basically to keep myself from sitting at home and feeling sorry for myself and, and just constantly sitting in that feeling of, I failed and everyone knows I've failed. Uh, so this became my own therapy to keep my mind busy, to keep my mind active. And I never, ever thought in a million years that it would ever see the light of day or that it would actually become what it is becoming today. 
And that's been actually one of the most rewarding parts is seeing where it's sort of getting to and the difference it's making in people's lives who I know are experiencing or experienced what I have shared with them as well. So it was like six weeks just to take some time out and created a business plan and my friends were telling me no one is going to pay for somewhere to go that you can go for free. They couldn't see the product that I was sort of developing and I couldn't either to be honest. I was sort of like, you know what, I don't care. It's making me happy. (laughs) it's keeping me occupied and it started out just taking two three four people out for a hike to some of my favorite locations and since then it's evolved and now we sort of take 14 to 15 on and with myself and a support guide and it's you know every hike we have moments of you know acknowledging both the beautiful traditional owners of, of the lands that we walk on it's around taking time out from all of the laughs and the conversation that we have on the trail to actually have, I guess, moments of solitude. So we all take 10, 15 minutes sitting on top of a mountain, looking out over the view and really connecting with nature and the place we're at and where we're at as people. So Get Outside has become a place that is fantastic for meeting people and for sharing experiences in nature but people take from it what they need if it's is they're coming there because they just really need to get away from the kids for the day because they're driving them insane or it's, um, you know, they've had a really full-on week and they just need to disconnect. It's become one of those, I guess, places where people can actually have the day for themselves and we love that. Oh, it's beautiful. It's, um, I wish I lived closer and I could come and hang out with you more because I love to hike as well. You've hiked in some like 35 countries. What is your favourite hike in the world? I always like, I spend on one of those people that will use my annual leave to head off to faraway places and see, you know, whether it's the Atlas Mountains in Morocco or the Amazon in Brazil. But just this year, I did the overland track in Tasmania and uh, we did seven days. And it made me realise, or not reinforced, we live in the most beautiful country on the planet. Tasmania, I think, is one of just the most untouched, incredible, natural wonders of our world. And even just talking about it, I can feel myself being back amongst the, you know, those tall ancient forests. In Tasmania, the overland track is an absolute highlight. Yeah, so lucky. It's highly recommend. Oh, beautiful. Well, go Tassie with my uh, affinity with Tasmania. So that, that warms my heart to hear that. So... Kane, it's been such a delight to chat to you today. I could talk to you far more than this, but uh, I'm conscious of our time and, and taking up your time and you need to get out there and hike today. <laughs> so, uh, it's, <laughs> um, yeah, and, and I, as I sit here in uh, Thailand on a detox, but I'm feeling amazing. So, uh, I've been out in nature every day walking and it definitely makes me feel better as well. So, you, uh, your message is strong and it's in all our ears. So, um, yeah, just get outside continuously is probably what people need to do, huh? Absolutely. Yeah, you can absolutely feel better uh, just by simply doing something we can all do, getting outside. Yeah, it's that connection with nature. But connecting with you has been an absolute delight. So thanks again for being on the show. Thanks, Michelle. I've absolutely loved our conversation. Cheers. Well, there you have it. Wasn't that an incredible conversation? I hope you enjoyed it as much as I've enjoyed bringing it to you. If you did like it, can I ask a small favour? please rate and review on your listening platform for me. 
I know everyone asks this, but it seriously makes a difference to help get these conversations out in the world and makes all the hard work and effort I put into this for you all the more worthwhile. And until next time, if you have one question you'd like to ask me, hit me up on my socials or jump on my website, michellejcox.com. Thank you.